In reality television, the people are represented by two separate but equally obsessed attorneys. This is their podcast. Hi, I'm Ceci. And I'm Angela. And this is the Bravo Docket. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Bravo Docket. You are now listening to the first part of our series on Jen Shaw's sentencing. So on December 16th, her submission was due for her sentencing. December 23rd, the government submission will be due. January 6th is the sentencing hearing. We are going to do this in multiple parts. The first part, which you are listening to today, is going to cover what sentencing is, give you a background on Jen Shaw's scheme that she pled guilty to, and then give you a comparison as to what her co-defendants received as sentences when they were sentenced. The second part will go over her submission to the court, it will go over the government's submission to the court, and we will break down what evidence both sides are lodging to argue what Jen Shaw's sentence should be. And in the third part of this series, we will discuss the sentence that Jen Shaw ultimately receives, and what will happen after she receives the sentence. So without further ado, we will begin by explaining what this scheme is. Yes, and we're going to do that. And first of all, I'm hoping my voice sounds like Phoebe, maybe, on the episode of Friends where she gets sick and she has the sexy voice. But unfortunately, I have COVID, so I am very sick. I am definitely not at the top of my game. But We are recording this, and I apologize in advance. I'm secluded in my house, so don't worry about that. All right, so one of the things we wanted to talk about was how this all began and go over the scheme again. As you guys recall, the government put the co-conspirators into tiers, and Jen Shaw was in tier A. She's A-list. This is not the type of A-list you want to be, but she is A-list, so that's above tiers one, two, and three. A is at the very top. And Ryan Holt was also in tier A. He has already been sentenced. Around 2006, Ryan Holt was the sales manager at the tax club. And we have actual recordings from people from the tax club. It's not Ryan Holt, but it's a person that worked at the, you know, air quotes, tax club that was selling the same type of business services that all these other companies were part of and ended up being. Now, the tax club got shut down, but then whenever one of these companies would get shut down, they'd just open up a new one and give it a new name. All of these companies were involved in FTC investigations, but that's a, that's a civil thing. What happens with an FTC investigation is the government agency will investigate and require companies to shut down, require people to not be involved in telemarketing, and then give them huge fines. But these people just kept setting up new companies and doing the same thing over and over again. The tax club was shut down following the FTC investigation around 2012. And that's the FTC clips that we have. After that, Ryan Holt and some other people opened their own sales floor called Top Shelf Marketing, which continued to operate the business opportunity scheme in the New York City area. Top Shelf and later reliable business consultants upsold victims with tax and other products after those victims purchased coaching from companies in Utah, including companies that employed Jen Shaw and Stuart Smith, who are now in the case that we're presently talking about. According to what the government alleged from about 2012 to 2021, Jen Shaw, together with others, including Stu Chains and the other people that pled guilty in the conspiracy, carried out this telemarketing scheme that we're going to play these clips from. Yeah. So I just wanted to point out what the scheme was. 
for those that aren't familiar. What they were doing was selling services that they claimed would better these individuals' businesses. But in reality, the services that they were selling had little to no value. And a lot of the times the victims were over the age of 55. Some, it was alleged, didn't even own computers. So they were being sold business services for businesses they probably didn't even have, didn't even exist, and that they couldn't even operate because they didn't have computers. And we've seen through the evidence that we've read because we've been reporting on this scheme for a really long time is that there would be recurring charges on these people's credit cards. And we've all been there where you sign up for something and forget to cancel it. But imagine your grandma, this happening to your grandma. So just picture that as we talk about the scheme. And so what was being done was that they would then get this individual's information after they were sold these fake services and their information would be sold downstream. And those were called leads to other people to then sell them more business opportunities that had little to no value. And so it was kind of this just snowballing scheme where these individuals, again, many over the age of 55, were just being sold things that they did not need or they did need and they weren't getting anything back for their money. And when you, when you hear the audio from the actual calls, it makes it more realistic and I think we can all talk about it in the abstract and say how horrific it is. But when you listen to the audio and see the tactics that they're using against these people to try and scam them out of their hard-earned money and lie to them, mislead them, it it is appalling. The clips are hard to listen to. I think I cried actually the first time I listened to all of them because it was so upsetting hearing these elderly people just getting scammed. It's awful. There was a... a Reddit post that I wanted to read part of because it was someone that actually worked in the credit services industry. And this is what they said. They said, scamming the elderly is one of the most easy and disgusting things someone can do because one, they are targeted because they tend to have more savings and they have pensions. Two, they live on limited incomes because they can no longer work and then they therefore rely on those savings and pensions. And three, they often have diminished cognition due to general memory decline. Every one of us can close our eyes and think of a grandparent or old person who seemed vulnerable. And so what this person on Reddit pointed out was, yes, these companies, including Jen Shaw, are robbing that person. And when older people are scammed, they can't just recoup their losses by working and going on with their lives. They're no longer able to work. Many of them literally live on Social Security and their savings and pensions. And if you take that away from them, they're done. And that was in the Bravo Real Housewives subreddit. And I just thought that was great that they were really pointing that out. So the clips are from the Planet Money podcast. We're going to add a link to this podcast episode called Planet Money, Anatomy of a Scam. And we're going to put a link in the episode description. And I highly encourage you to listen to the whole thing. All of these clips are from the FTC investigation into the tax club, which Ryan Holt was involved in. Ryan Holt is also, as we said before, tier A in Jin Shah's case, and he's already been sentenced. So the Planet Money podcast got a hold of a script. And one of these scripts was also attached to some of the pleadings in the case involving Jin Shaw. And there's four basic parts. The scripts, though, are what they would use when calling the victims of the scheme. Yeah. So there's an intro where they establish rapport, the probe where they find out how much money a victim has. And then the third part is where you, quote, find the fear or convince someone that they have a problem and then sell them a solution. And when I read that, I thought of the Wolf of Wall Street at the very end when he's selling them the pen and he doesn't try to sell them the pen. He's like, I need you to sign this document. And then he sells them the pen. And then foreclose, which is getting the credit card info. And that's just the beginning. And we're going to play clips that show actual demonstrations of all four of those things from these people that had already been scammed. Here's the intro when you're going to hear this person establishing their sort of rapport with this person on the phone. And this is an elderly woman. How are you this morning? I'm doing all right. I was just cleaning up my grandson's bedroom. Oh, yeah? <laughs> it never ends, right? Yeah. Well, he's 16 and he's spoiled. Spoiled? Yeah. <laughs> Aren't they all? Well, most of them anyway. But that's okay. Grandmothers are supposed to spoil their grandchildren. That's how it works. 
Next is the probe, and it's finding out how much money a victim has. Now, I just want to get an idea of what type of assets you have that we will be protecting with this corporation. Are you a homeowner? Yep. Okay. You have a mortgage, I'm assuming? Yep. Okay. Do you own any vehicles? I have a van. A van? Yeah. Okay. Is it a lease or? No, it's paid for that one. Okay, you own that. It's really not bad. I mean, I know a lot of people. I speak to people every day. And, I mean, I know people in much, much worse positions than you are. Do you have savings? Uh, Yeah, a little bit. A little bit? Um, Yeah, when my mother passed away, she gave us kids some, so I put it away. Okay, good. Just a ballpark, if you had to say. I don't want an exact number. It's none of my business. I'm just... No, I'd say right around 50000 50 Okay. And you have working capital in your checking account? Yeah. Ballpark, what would you say that is? 2000 Okay. Three, the convincing someone they have a problem and selling them the solution to find the fear. Do you know what types of products you're going to be selling yet? Um, I haven't done anything yet. Okay, all right. My laptop doesn't seem to do what I want it to do. Right, right. It it always works that way. Well, listen, I'm gonna you know I'm gonna guide you in getting your back end of your business set up, so that you can, um, so that you can make as much money as possible as quickly as possible, and save as much money as possible tax wise. This way, you don't have to deal with the IRS on your own. I don't know if you've ever dealt with them, but it's like dealing with the Gestapo. Okay. That's good. Number four is the close, which is getting that credit card information. Now, how many hours a week do you think you're going to invest into this business? Five to eight hours a day. Really? That's fantastic, okay? Because investing as little as 10 hours a week, okay, can potentially generate a six-figure income. So, I mean, as long as you dedicate... Maybe I'll get a seven. (laughs) (laughs) Let's let's hope. Now, look, our membership consists of a one-time initial setup fee and only a small corresponding retainer fee. So for that, everything that we've discussed here today, it's only a one-time investment of $4,785, okay, and $49.95 a month, which I will waive for the first three months. 49 what? 49.95. <clears throat> now, Good thing I don't have to pay it all at once. I have everything in the system here set up. It would be very helpful to me if... Um, we can start the uh, the billing process. I can't do that because I don't have that much in there. Okay. What... I just I just maxed it out. Okay. What can you do? Is there anything you could do right this moment? No, not right now. Okay. That's fine. I'll just save everything here. Sorry to do that to you. But... No, it's okay. It's all right. All right. You're going to be using your debit card? Was that correct? Yeah. Is that a Visa or a MasterCard? Visa. A Visa? All right. What are those numbers? Oh, you're fast. I got it. Okay, the number is... Expiration. Okay, and the three-digit CVV number on the back. But that's just the beginning. That's the first part. Once they get that credit card info, then they have the person's credit card info. They have the person's number. They know how much money they have. There are essentially a mark now, and then they sell those leads, they have a lead list, and they sell those leads to other companies, and they get commissions from that. And that's the main thing that Jen Shaw was doing, was she was brokering those leads. The victim gets on the lead list, the list gets distributed to different sales floors, the victim gets more calls from what is supposed to be, in quotes, the new business opportunity. I mean, have you done anything in regards to getting a loan for the business? No, because I don't really want to go into more debt. Well, no, it's not exactly about going more into debt. What I would rather see you do is take the money you've already invested and kind of like pay it off with the loan just so the business would actually claim those liabilities. So it would be like paying yourself back with a business loan. Does that make sense? So you're really not borrowing any more money. You're just kind of paying off what you've already invested. Does that sound better? But it's got to be paid back too. I can't hear you. What would you say? I said it would still have to be paid back. What's the same exact situation you're in now, isn't it? So now we're going to play the final clip, which is where we find out what happened. And again, this is difficult to listen to. Yeah, Caesar, I've been trying to get a hold of you. Yes. Forever. Okay. Forever. Are you at your desk? I am. 
Okay, fine. You got a few minutes? I do. How can I how can I help out here? This loan has to be zeroed out for one. Okay. And why is that? Well, because she passed away. Okay. Right after she signed that contract. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. All right. We've had to put a freeze on all of her bank accounts and stuff because money has been flying out of there left and right. Okay. And just to, and, just for your records, mm-hmm. um, I'm sending an email right now. She had two accounts. I, I have a hard time explaining this. You wanted me to hold on and get an explanation for you? No, I just want to know where like $45,000 went towards these people. That's mm-hmm. um, been coming out of her account, and it started all in August. And oh, okay. it was going to something, the tax club, global, uh, web something or another. A lot of those clients are building either online businesses or storefronts. And so uh, those services help them either run their business or help them do their taxes. <laughs> this is a woman who had dementia, 75 years old, and could barely turn on her computer. I'm glad Angela found those <laughs> clips because, like I mentioned, it is hard to not not I guess we're not really putting a face to the crime but putting more substance like actual hard evidence as to what they did so now we're going to take a step back and talk about the procedural history and what happened from Jen Shaw's arrest until now so Jen Shaw and Stuart Smith were arrested on March 30th 2021 but the investigation into their crimes had commenced long before then the first indictment was issued on November 19th 2019, against her many co-defendants. There were 10 other defendants already by the time Jen Shaw was arrested. She was number 11. Stu was number 12. Like I said, the initial indictment for this case that knocked off this case was November 19th, 2019. The first guilty plea was by Chad Allen, who's one of the co-defendants, on December 5th, 2019. The second one was December 6th, 2019. The first season of Real Housewives of Salt Lake City airs November 11th, 2020, which leads me to believe that she began filming shortly thereafter two of her co-defendants pled guilty. The reunion aired February 24th, 2021, and not one month later, Jen Shaw is arrested. We saw law enforcement coming up to the Sprinter van, and then... She did Probably get Probably one of the best TV ever. episodes ever. Like, that needs to go in the history books. 100%. And then she had the arraignment hearing, and then she had the pretrial motions, which we did episodes on. You can go back and listen to those. And then Stu and Stuart Smith pled guilty on November 19th, 2021, to conspiracy to commit money laundering, and then conspiracy to commit wire fraud and obstruction of an official proceeding. Yeah, and in that... I remember just being glued to my phone. He admitted he sold marketing to victims that was of no value to consumers. That's a quote. He admitted that he received the money illegally and had those proceeds delivered to his bank accounts knowingly. He knew what he was doing was wrong and illegal when he was doing it. He admitted that they conducted business in cash to avoid knowledge of whom the recipient was. He admitted to committing perjury in 2008 when subpoenaed by the FTC. And he admitted that 10 of the victims of the scheme were over the age of 55. Jen's trial was set to begin about a year after her initial arrest on Monday, March 7th, 2022. The date later got pushed back to March 22nd, 2022. And Jen noted on the season three premiere that she didn't have a lot of time to get ready. The trial, which was expected to last about five weeks, got pushed again to July 18th, 2022. However, before the trial could begin, Jen decided to change her plea to guilty. Some common questions that we've received. First question, the biggest one that we have received is what sentence did Stu receive? And we don't know. Our gut instinct is that those proceedings maybe occurred and are under seal, so we can't see them on the docket. We don't know. We know he pled guilty. We just don't know what sentence he got. Another one that we've received a lot and there's some anger about this one, is why is this taking so long? And we've seen that question with the trial being pushed and then with the sentencing being pushed. And I just have to say, this is how long these things take. Cases take a really long time. Welcome to the American legal system. But really, 
Both sides have requested extensions here. Even the court has had to move things because of the court's own schedule. Everyone has a lot on their plates, including the attorneys here, including Jen, including the prosecution. So things just have to get pushed sometimes. It's not because she's getting any special favors. It's just the reality of litigating a case. So Jen pled guilty only to conspiracy to commit wire fraud in connection with telemarketing, through which she victimized 10 or more persons over the age of 55, which carries a maximum sentence of 30 years. But even though that's the only thing she pled guilty to, I want to make it clear that all of her co-conspirators pled guilty. And the conspiracy to commit wire fraud is a conspiracy with all those other people. Stu Chains, for example, pled guilty to the money laundering charge. And he didn't do that money laundering all by himself. So she managed to work out a plea negotiation where she only pled guilty to one thing, but that doesn't mean that she's not guilty of the other things. But Ceci's going to read what she testified to doing in the plea hearing. Yes. So she testified from 2012 to March 2021 in the Southern District of New York and elsewhere. I agreed with others to commit wire fraud. I did this by knowingly providing customer names to people who were marketing business services that had little or no value. However, I knew the purchasers of those services were misled about the value, and that's why they bought the services. We used interstate telephones and emails to market and sell these services. Furthermore, while doing this, I knew many of the purchasers of these services were over the age of 55. I knew this was wrong. I know many people were harmed, and I am sorry. The court then asks some questions and says, so now you said something. You said this is why, whatever, why, why they bought whatever they bought. What were they buying? And why did they buy it? And Jen testified they bought it because of the misrepresentations of the product. And the court says, well, what were the misrepresentations? And Jen responded, regarding the value of the product or service. And the court asks, what were the misrepresentations regarding the value of the service? And Jen responds that it had little or no value. So basically, there she's testifying that she knew the services she was selling to the victims had little or no value. Yeah, the court says, in other words, this is the court quote, in other words, the representations were that it had value or that it was a misrepresentation because it had little or no value. Is that what you're telling me? And Jen Shaw says, yes, that's correct, Your Honor. Yeah. So now that leads us to now, which is, like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, we have received Jen Shaw's sentencing memorandum. We will get the prosecution sentencing memorandum. There will be a hearing. It'll be sort of a battle of the statements to determine what sentence Jen Shaw should get. That being said, let's talk about what sentencing is. And we've talked about this a lot, but this is to benefit those who don't remember or who are joining us for the first time. So what is sentencing? A few months after a defendant is found guilty, which could be via a jury trial or after they plead guilty, they return to court to be sentenced. The judge receives guidance and assistance from several sources in order to sentence a defendant. Congress has established minimum and maximum punishments for many crimes, which the judge uses to craft a sentence. The United States Sentencing Commission has produced a set of sentencing guidelines that recommend punishments for certain crimes while considering various factors. And the judge will look at the pre-sentence report and consider statements from the victims as well as the defendant and lawyers. And then the judge can consider a variety of aggravating or mitigating factors. These include whether the defendant has committed the same crime before, whether the defendant has expressed regret for the crime, and the nature of the crime itself. And we've gone into detail about pre-sentence investigation reports and how the government does that report. And the defense can make objections to what's in the report if they disagree with how things are characterized. But that's kind of like if you fill out a tax return, but there's no one putting in any deductions. So then you're defense attorney and sometimes even the government will say, okay, no, we agree that this shouldn't be four points, it should be two, and the criminal history says three, but it should actually be one point. And those go into what the actual range will be for the months that you'll be sentenced to. So they went through in the plea agreement that was filed and determined that based on the calculations that the guidelines level for this crime for Jen Shaw is 33. They agreed that there can't be a downward or upward departure from the stipulated guidelines range. So neither party will seek to depart or adjust it pursuant to the guidelines. However, they can still seek a sentence outside of the stipulated guidelines range of 33 based upon certain factors, the nature of the offense, the need for the sentence, whether 
the defendant seems sorry for the crime, whether they've taken responsibility for the crime, whether they're going to be deterred by the specific sentence. So those are the factors upon which the stipulated range of 33 can be adjusted. So that's why we'll be seeing in these memos that it is limited to kind of more characteristic determinations, more so than any hard calculations. So trespass has a base of four, kidnapping has a base of 32, and they agreed to a base of 33. So again, one point higher than kidnapping. And then they agreed that Jen can't appeal any sentence that is less than 14 years. So if she gets a sentence of 15 years throughout this whole process, she can appeal it. If she gets less than 14 years, she cannot appeal the sentence. So let's talk about the other defendants here and sentences that they have received. It, of course, isn't going to be a perfect comparison because everyone has a different story. Everyone has a different level of involvement in the scheme. Everyone has different background. Everyone has a different level of deterrence or how much they might be deterred by a specific sentence. Everyone has different familial obligations. So this isn't going to be a one-to-one comparison. It's not a clean comparison, but it gives us sort of a general idea of what we're working with specific to this crime. We also have an episode on it. It was a really great episode, so go back and listen to that one. I'm not going to give you all the details on all of them, but there are some that we have picked out that I think are interesting. So Derek Larkin, he was tier three. As you recall, there's tier A, which is the highest, and then they go into sending order. He pled to conspiracy to commit wire fraud. His pre-sentencing report was 151 months to 188 months. The government recommended 92 to 115, and he actually got... 72 months plus five years supervised release. And so that goes out to about six years. He's 36 years old. His restitution is $3.5 million. And what's, what's interesting is that the amount of proceeds that are traceable from the crime, it was only like $25,000 in his case. Now, the restitution is joint in several with several of the other co-defendants. So that means they're all jointly liable for the $3.5 million. But he really, he didn't really make that much money from the crime. And to go through some of the details, in his plea agreement, the base offense level was seven, with the loss greater than 1.5 million, but less than 3.5 million. 16 levels are then added. So that's what brings that up so much. So it's not like, we were saying kidnapping is a base level of 32. 32, but here the base level is seven, but because of the large amount of money, then it gets kicked up much higher. And so that adds a ton of points to your level. So he actually had several prior criminal charges, which also bumps things up. And so then that becomes 26, carrying an advisory sentence range and the criminal category of 120 to 150 months imprisonment. Yeah. And the plea agreement for Jen Shaw has the calculation adjusted. Right. So Derek Larkin says, I was hired by several men to work as an appointment setter in this business. I was paid by them and did not assist in organizing the crimes. I spent significantly less time in the business and made significantly less money. While some of my co-conspirators were buying cars, vacations, and designer clothes, I lived paycheck to paycheck off what I made in the business to support my family. However, I received a longer sentence in prison than most of them. So he has a post-sentencing submission where he claims his sentence is unfair because he got six years. These men were highly involved and benefiting greatly after victims' money while also having criminal records. I understand that my unrelated record must be taken into consideration, but he argued that justice can't be served when the top tier of co-conspirators receive less time in prison than the bottom tier. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I was also given an astronomical order of restitution despite making less than 25000 Now, all this stuff, all the points and everything I read before explain like why his sentence was where it was. And his prior criminal history had a lot to do with him getting those six years. But that's just one example. So that's somebody in tier three that got six years because of how the sentencing guidelines work. So Maddie Cirillo, who is in tier four, pled to conspiracy to commit wire fraud, and she had no criminal history. Her pre-sentence report recommended 57 months to 71 months. The government recommended 41 to 51 months, and she was actually sentenced to time served and three years supervised release in one of those three years to be spent at home detention. But she has over half a million of restitution that she's responsible for. So it's a huge amount of money. She's only 28 years old, and she's got a debt of $550,000. So that's a, that's a lot. So she didn't get jail time, but she has a ton of restitution to pay. So that's just two examples. Tessie, did you want to talk about any of the other ones? Yeah, I just wanted to note that in our prior episode, we talked about some other co-defendants specific to this case who pled guilty but have not been sentenced yet. And I remember when we first released that episode, we said it would be coming this past summer. It still hasn't come. So that would be Cameron Brewster, Kevin Handren. Their sentences were both adjourned to April 2023. So I feel like those would have been some other good comparisons to Jen because they're both in tier A in this same case, but we don't have them. So Ryan Holt was tier A along with Jen Shaw, and he pled to multiple counts. Now, remember, this Ryan Holt is the same one that was involved in the tax club that we talked about in the beginning. And we played the recordings from the FTC investigation of the tax club. We don't have reason to believe that the recordings actually were Ryan Holt, but they were from that scam that Ryan Holt was an organizer of. Ryan Holt is also the person that provided information that got Jen Shaw arrested. I really want to read from his sentencing transcript. It might be kind of long, but I think you guys will be really interested in how it went because his defense attorney really did a masterful job of arguing for a lower sentence for him. And it really shows some of the things that we've been talking about how this stuff works. Also, he's kind of a fascinating character because of the fact that he paid almost $200,000 to a fake FBI agent thinking that he could pay somebody off to get out of this charge. And he came from a privileged background. He went to a very expensive private college. There really isn't a reason for him to need to be scamming people out of their money, much like Jen Shaw. And yeah, just so everyone knows, this is a transcript from the sentencing hearing, like the sentencing hearing Jen Shaw will have on January 6th. Ryan Holt's defense attorney has the goal of getting him the lowest possible sentence that he can. And to do that, he has to convince the judge that Ryan Holt that got arrested is not the same person as the Ryan Holt that is appearing before the judge today to be sentenced. And so in order to do that, he needs to acknowledge all of the bad things that Ryan Holt did and then demonstrate in a measurable way how his client has changed since he got sentenced and how his client acknowledges what he has done is wrong and then show the judge that the judge can take a, a chance on this person, that they're not going to continue to commit the same type of crimes. The court says, I adopt the findings of fact in the pre-sentence report, defense counsel. Why don't you talk to me here? 
I presided over the trial of the Katopchi action, which, side note, the Katopchi action was the precursor action to this one. And I was very surprised at how early on your client was involved in all of the scams. The progenitor of all this is the tax club. And I remember Sinclair's testimony, astonishing testimony. It was closed by the FTC. Your client was there. He then started Top Shelf. I remember testimony of Top Shelf. He had problems with the FTC there as well. He lied to the FTC. It's sort of a very odd turn of events that he tried to bribe an FBI agent. And it turns out that it was a scam that one of the upstanding people here was scamming him, pretending that he was going to pass the money on to bribe someone else. That's the world your client lived in. On the other hand, he has no criminal convictions that I'm aware of, which is wonderful. He's had a rather difficult family life. He's had a drug problem. It looks like a serious drug problem. He had difficulties growing up, although his parents seem to think more of it than he does. The drug use was rampant. Cocaine, ecstasy, oxycodone. He agreed to cooperate. He made real efforts at cooperation. To use the vernacular, he blew that. One of the many mistakes he's made. I do want to ask the parties about what's in the papers about continuing cooperation. He's been remanded ever since he had those arrests in New Jersey. It looks like he was a very active cooperator. I note here from my reading, it says he had 200 taped conversations. So he's an interesting person and complicated as everybody is. Speak to me. Yes, Your Honor. It's very clear Your Honor is extremely familiar with all of the unfortunate facts and the crimes that were committed. Well, these are so... I've been at this long enough that I shouldn't be bothered by it, but somebody with real potential, family support, very much had family support, as I've indicated. I think it's good that you're bothered by it. Education, BA, fabulous athletic career, can't seem to make a go out of it in the real world. He's been involved with such serious scams. Yes, Your Honor. I mean, the people. I'm still bothered by the victims of the Katabji case who testified. Many of them, their lives are ruined, and he was an active participant. I'm bothered by it also, Judge, and I think that we need judges that are bothered by it and are not immune to it after thousands of cases are not just moving on to the next one. So we applaud that judge because we need you to protect society. The role that I'm playing today usually is taking as much as I can from the pre-sentence report and the cooperation and trying to convince a judge to get the least possible sentence for my client. That's my oath. Thinking about it today, judge, and yesterday, what I was going to say to you after 35 years, starting in Barry Schneck's criminal law clinic just up the road at Cardozo, I've done so many thousands of cases, and I think the big issue I want to discuss with you is what is the possibility of reoffending? Because I think when you look at the pre-sentence report, the things that I think you don't know are the things I do know. So I don't have a crystal ball But I have seen some things, Judge, that would tell you that the person that came before the magistrate when he pled guilty is not the same person here. I know you've heard that before. I hear it every time. You do. But I have the facts that allow me to make an argument in good faith. When Mr. Holt committed these crimes and cooperated, like many cooperators, although it's substantial and he did it before he was arrested, he turned himself in. And he gets credit for that. And I know you'll give him credit. I believe you will. But he was not remorseful, Judge. He turned himself in after there was a search of the premises. Correct. The jig was up. I agree. But he was one of the first ones to get in there, and he gets credit for that because he helped the agents in so many ways, giving them the overview of this very sophisticated scam. But what I saw, Judge, in the 50-something pages of notes that I took when he was being debriefed, what I saw was a problem with narcissism, drugs, mental health problems. He was completely detached in almost a Trumpian way, that he was in an alternative universe where it was everybody's fault, that he was smarter than everybody. And I know that he went to Johnson and Wales. That's a good university, by the way. I happen to know it. It's a heck of a school, Judge. He has all those things. But unfortunately, he thought that the world was his oyster and he could do bad things because he could make money and live the high life. Probably the worst drugs that he used are the anabolic steroids. When I first met Ryan Holt, Judge, he was three times the size he is now. He looked like somebody who was taking serious anabolic steroids like Mark McGuire. That really showed his problems. He was completely detached from his criminal activity. Even when he was giving the agents information in Utah, he was unable to come back down to earth and realize that he's no better, no worse than anyone else. He was living in that type of universe. I did not see the issues back then. I could never argue before you the lack of a chance of recidivism or reoffending. But what I did see, Judge, was a continual spiral of everybody else's fault. It's always somebody else's fault. What I couldn't get through to Mr. Holt was the thing that hit me the most. They had a floor to stop people from getting refunds. That's a bad sign. 
And I could never get through to Mr. Holt that that's the declaration against interest in and of itself. That's a confession. You're committing criminal activity because you already have a floor set up to stop people from getting their refunds because they have no opportunity to make money on the things they're selling. It was a scam. You can call it whatever you want. All these telemarketing scams. It's the bottom line. It's a white collar crime. I don't understand. This is news. What's your point? The testimony on the chargeback efforts is substantial. Right. But the point was how detached he was from even when I would approach Mr. Halt and tell him, even though he's cooperating and tell him these types of things show the mental status that you know you're committing crimes and yet still being detached and still trying to live the high life. This continued during the cooperation. It didn't affect the cooperation and the truthfulness. He gave up himself on a case, as you said, the fake FBI agent case, which shows how detached he was and how grandiose his behavior was. No one knew about that. So that goes in his credit, but he's giving up all the information, even the things the government may not know. What happened, though, Judge, when COVID hit, the mental health problems became exacerbated and the drug problems got much worse and he was basically living off the street. His marriage fell apart. The people he was involved with were the people he was basically using for various purposes, trying to get into various businesses and make money. The drug usage was incredible at that moment. He agreed that he had to turn himself in. His marriage fell apart. The people he was involved with were people he was basically using for various purposes, trying to get into various businesses and make money. He was getting to the point where I don't know if he would have survived on the street much longer. And he was doing these things, trying to get by. He had no money. It didn't happen right away. But when he went to Essex County Jail, Essex County Jail is a tough place, a lot of gangs. He had two seizures when he was coming out of the drug usage. He had been beaten up. He had injuries, but he got himself there. He got mental health therapy. And thank God at ECJ, he got clean and he's doing a great job. Still in the winter up to March when they made the Utah arrest, which was the Salt Lake City arrest, i.e. <laughs> we know who that is. Our girl. Yep. I still felt like he was like, what's the government going to do for me? Side note, when we do our next episode covering the government's sentencing memorandum, we're going to talk about text messages between Jen Shaw and Stuart Smith in which they note that Holt gets arrested for drug charges and they're concerned about some co-conspirators flipping on them. Okay, back to the sentencing hearing. That's how I felt Mr. Holt was kind of feeling. Like he had assisted on those cases, including some assistance on that case. And he was like, what are they going to do for me? So this is him saying, this is Ryan Holt essentially helped Jen Shaw get arrested. It all changed for me when the PSI started to do the interview. He was different. He wasn't making excuses. He was providing truthful information, but it was his tone and his attitude. Even when we got on the phone... He was offering further cooperation. There's definitely something about that. I didn't want to put that in an unsealed fashion, but it's out there and he'll be happy to talk to you about it. But he's never asked what's in it for me. He was communicating for the first time in the pre-sentence report and he was communicating to the U.S. Attorney's Office in a way that told me he got it. He was no longer detached. The drug usage was gone. The therapy was coming. The medication was coming. It was working. The kid that went to Johnson & Wales, I think he's here. I've spent a lot of time with Mr. Holt, Judge. I feel bad for his family, good parents, good home. But I feel that Mr. Holt, in talking to his attorneys, started to apologize about some of the rough stuff he said when he was in the throes of drug use and some of the things that we couldn't do for him when he blew the 5K because he got arrested. He was no longer blaming anyone. He was sorry. He was sorry he had acted the way he did. When he spoke to Ms. Fletcher, he never asked her for any other thing. He never asked for any additional lowering of a sentence or anything. He accepted it. That was the first time, Judge, he's accepted anything. That tells me, Judge, that Mr. Holt is not the same person. He's no longer detached. He doesn't have the criminal record. So what should I do? I'm sorry? What's the view of the defense as to what I should do? Judge, I think that based upon the fact I believe that Mr. Holt has all of his education and now has a drug-free environment, he's going to do time. I think that's one of the things you can rest much easier on is the chances that he's going to reoffend are not good. He's not probably ever going to reoffend. No one has that crystal ball, but I feel that very strongly today. I'll tell you, without the input you're giving me, that is the human input. The statistics are that he's a prime candidate for reoffending in terms of a fraudster. I know, Judge. In the white-collar cases, this attitude is the same attitude that we saw with Mr. Holt that I saw with Mr. Holt when he first offended. What about general deterrence? What about punishment? Judge, using the comparators that the U.S. attorney put together did a great job. I'm certainly relying on that as well. I think a sentence in between two of the sentences that were administered in this case will not send the wrong message to society. Well, the sentences in Katabchi ranged from 87 to 78, 72, 15, 51, 52, 366 days. 
What is your position? My position as judge, as I said in the sentencing memorandum, I don't think in good conscience I could argue to you that the two years or the three years was something that I felt confident with giving the pre-sentence report had it at five years. I think the U.S. Attorney's Office, although they can't say they're in equal view with my sentencing memorandum, I'm certainly hoping that Your Honor does not sentence him to more than total four years. He's been in jail since November. He's been taking advantage of everything that's possible for him to be rehabilitated. I think the big issue for you to consider, it's only you that can decide what he should do four years or more, or maybe slightly less if I'm successful today. But at least I would ask Your Honor not to impose more than four years, giving all the comparisons. He is remorseful, Judge. Unfortunately, it's hard for you to see it in a PSI, but I see it based on what I've seen in the last three months. And I don't think he's playing a game because you weren't present when he was talking to Ms. Fletcher and you weren't present when he was doing the PSI. He could have been his usual standoff self, but he's been improving really these last three months. I think it merits, Judge, something from your honor. And certainly you'll hear from him that four years will not send the wrong message. He will be deterred. Society will be deterred as it should be from committing these types of offenses in the future. It's going to be a heavy sentence because he's only been in since November, and he's never done serious time before. I would certainly like him to be in a federal facility to get better treatment and not be subjected to gang violence because he was. He's in federal custody now. Yes. Thank you. Judge, if I could, and I know that you've read everything I submitted to you, I just wanted to say to the court that I understand because you sat here for these trials. I understand that you have the ability to see through all the things I've said to you in this court. And it's easy to say you're remorseful, but I think, Judge, that the way the U.S. Attorney's Office approached their sentencing memorandum indicates that the U.S. Attorney's Office, not just me, that they think Ryan Holt is someone you could take someone of a chance on and not sentence him to more than four years. I would say... Well, the government took a chance on him. Look at what happened. You know, Judge, they took a chance on him. I would only say, Judge, with the cooperation, he's going to continue to cooperate whether he gets credit for it or not. That's a very good sign. What I wanted to close with, Judge, is that Mr. Holt is not asking for any extra credit down the line. He feels that he can stop future people from being victimized. He understands. took a long time, but he understands that there were vulnerable people involved. He understands that he has to live with that. Does he understand he ruined a lot of lives? He understands, and he knows that he has to pay a price for it. I think part of paying the price is that he wants to work for the government to stop future people from being hurt the way these people got hurt. And I think that he can address that, Judge, and I hope and pray, Judge, that you do not give him more than four years. Thank you, sir. I think these two paragraphs from the prosecution is interesting. Yeah. So the prosecution comes on and says, thank you, Your Honor. This is maybe the most sort of complicated or difficult of the sentencing I think Your Honor has seen in this case. And Your Honor has sentenced a number of people. Mr. Holt provided as much and probably more assistance to the government than any other cooperator that we've had in this investigation. And we've had a number of them, as Your Honor knows. But he breached his cooperation agreement. He is an unusual case. The government and the court go on, and then Mr. Holt actually speaks. And we'll just read a couple things from what he says, because Jen Shaw will be get the opportunity to speak to the judge as well. So everything you said, and this is Mr. Holt, and he says, everything you said is true, all the crimes that I've committed, the scamming, basically outlining the bad person I was. From that kid at Johnson & Wales, I turned. I turned the wrong way. I did come from a good family and made some mistakes for sure. I was self-centered and selfish and dishonest, egotistical, arrogant, and really only gave a shit about myself. Everything I thought about was just me. It was me, me, me. I was the type of guy that if life got in my way, I pouted and threw tantrums. And then the court says, well, there is a difference between egotistical and getting your way and pouting. On one hand, there are a lot of people like that, and then people and then people who are like that who commit crimes. You're talking about two different things. I always think this is interesting because when the judges, you know, let someone talk and then ask them questions and kind of point things out. I, I don't think I've seen it where they jump in when you're giving your, like, final... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe at the end, but like in the middle of it. You know, he talks for a long time, but he is very effusive that he had a drug problem, that he did a lot of things wrong, that there's no excuse for his behavior, and that he knew what he was doing was wrong. And then he says, I throw myself at the mercy of the court and you, Your Honor. I'm not asking for anything other than a chance to continue making amends to people. If the USA needed me right now after sentencing, they needed something from me, I would be right there continuing to make amends to the people I've harmed. I do understand what I did, and I do understand just how badly I hurt people. I use my family just as an example. I broke up families. I hurt people. I took money off the table, especially at a time like this. The victims of my crimes didn't deserve this, and I did continue to do this on an ongoing basis. I'm very sorry for what I've done. There's nothing I could ever do to the direct victims that I've hurt, but I could continue making amends. He's very effusive, and at the end, the court says, Thank you, sir. I think your remarks are very heartfelt. I actually do. I think you have seen the light. There is still a need for punishment and for general deterrence and individual deterrence. And so he's going, the court says, I'm going to give you a sentence lower than I thought I would when you came in, given the government has actually gone 
gone to bat for you here. I don't know if you realize that. Usually if a cooperator fails, they're very reluctant to support that person in sentencing, but here they are. I think the important thing you can do while in prison is to better yourself. And then the court talks a little bit more and then says, let me think for a moment here. Please rise, sir. I will impose the sentence. I hereby find the total offense is 36, the criminal history category 1, the guideline range is 188 to 235 to be followed by a mandatory consecutive 24 months on count two for a total guideline range of 212 to 259 months. So as your exposure, sir, it's very, very high. Pursuant to the Sentencing Reform Act of 1984, it is the judgment of this court that the defendant, Ryan Holt, is hereby committed to the custody of the Bureau of Prisons to be imprisoned for a term of 36 months on count one, three, four, and five, each to run concurrent with each other, plus a consecutive 24 months on count two. Count two, a 24-month sentence, is to run consecutive to the concurrent terms on counts one, three, four, and five. I realize that's a little confusing. Government, do you understand what I'm doing? <laughs> so even the court is like, I realize that's a little confusing. <laughs> the court. So that will be a 60-month total, and it is a substantial variance. That's a huge variance. You get a huge variance. So the reason why we went through all yes. this. Yes. Let's explain this in normal people terms. Yes. So he gave a range of 212 to 259 months, which is high. And then the court's final determination was 60 months. So it's a big a big difference. It's a huge departure. So that's, I mean, people were asking, like, what can these sentencing hearings and what can mitigating circumstances and cooperation actually do? And it can do a lot. Yeah. So even here where Jen agreed to a level of 33 for the sentence, it doesn't mean she's going to get a certain, she's not stuck in the range that she pled guilty to. And we'll talk about what she requested in the next episode. So that gives a really good overview or preview of how her sentencing hearing will go. We'll see what the arguments that the government is going to make. Now here, in this case, the government actually went to bat for Ryan Holt and and supported his arguments. So it'll be interesting to see what the government does for Jen Shaw. And on that note, like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, our next episode will go over the sentencing memorandums that Jen submits and the prosecution submits. And then the episode following that will go over the sentence that she will receive. On that note, we are going to be posting the pleadings on our Patreon, and we have been having discussions in the comment section of our Patreon. So if you want to get in and ask us a question about what the memorandums say, if you have a question that you want answered in our next episode, be sure to join our Patreon. All right, legal team. Don't forget our Instagram and our Amazon finds. We have a link to that if you click on the link of the bio of our Instagram page. And we get a very small percentage of that and it goes into the Bravo Docket Fund. This week we'll be making our yearly donation to the Innocence Project. So thank you guys for your support. And thank you guys so much for the good reviews on iTunes. Those warm our lawyer hearts and make us so happy. We screenshot them and text them to each other. And it really, it really makes us happy. So thank you guys so much. All right. Thanks, everyone. The Bravo Docket is part of the ACAST Creator Network.